A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Hi, listener. I'm Carol Fisher, the host of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister. I'm so excited for you to hear the brand new season where we're uncovering a 35-year-old mystery. But for those of you who didn't hear season one or just want to listen to it again, you can now get access to all episodes of that first season of The Girlfriends 100% ad-free through the iHeart True Crime Plus subscription, which is available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get access to every single episode of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, ad-free and one week early, only available to iHeart True Crime Plus subscribers. So what are you waiting for? Head to Apple Podcasts, search for iHeart True Crime Plus, and subscribe today. The cliff is the kind of place Jennifer Hart would have loved to photograph her kids. Located 200 miles north of San Francisco, it has a green-edged bluff right off of California's Highway 1, with a gravel path leading to a dramatic 100-foot drop into the Pacific. On other trips, Jen and her wife, Sarah, might have pulled to the side of the road and had their brood line up as they often did. Backs to the camera, hands raised in peace signs, a technicolor sunset framing their silhouettes. They were Marcus, 19, Hannah, 16, Devante, 15, Abigail and Jeremiah, both 14, and Sierra, 12. Two sets of biological siblings, both black, adopted by two white moms. A beautiful family by most accounts. Friends called them the Heart Tribe. But this trip wouldn't be like the others the Heart Tribe took to places like Bliss, Idaho, or Zion National Park in Utah. Investigators have been desperate to figure out how that family flew off that cliff in California and whether it was on purpose. I was at the scene two days ago. There were no skid marks. We have no evidence and no reason to believe that this was an intentional act. Certainly people are wondering what caused this. On March 26, 2018, a German tourist spotted the family's 2003 GMC Yukon XL, belly up on the rocks below the picturesque Mendocino cliff. The car plummeted more than 100 feet. Here's what we know happened in the days leading up to the crash. On March 24th at 3 a.m., Sarah's co-workers at Kohl's, where she worked as an assistant manager, 
received a text from Sarah saying she was too sick to open the store that morning. That same morning, the Hart's next-door neighbors, Bruce and Dana DeKalb, noticed that the Yukon was no longer in their driveway and that the bright red kayak that typically sat on top of it had been removed. Cinder blocks littered the driveway, suggesting that the family had crashed into a retaining wall in their rush to leave. On March 25th at 8.05 a.m., a surveillance camera in a Fort Bragg Safeway captured Jen in eyeglasses and an ill-fitting gray hoodie, paying $20.08 in cash for groceries. She bought bananas, saltines, and Chef Boyardee ravioli, and used a club card for discounts. Friends said she looked 25 pounds heavier than they'd ever seen her. On March 26th at 1.12 p.m., Sarah's co-worker, Cheryl Hart, no relation, called 911 asking for a welfare check on her friend. Thanks for holding. Can I help you? Yes, I was calling to see if I can get a welfare check done. Okay. And who are we checking on? Uh, Sarah Hart. Tell me the reason that we're checking on her. Um, she sent out a text message at 3 o'clock in the morning on Saturday morning stating that she was sick, but nobody's been able to get a hold of her, talk to her, or seen her since that text message. Okay. Or her wife, which is Jen. So we're just concerned. Okay. And did she say, when she said she was sick, did she say what was going on? Or She just said that she just is unable to come out and wasn't able to go to work and thought she was going to have to go to the doctor. Um, I checked the hospital so they didn't have any record of her. And I think her phone is now dead. Okay. And just the two of them live there? Or? They have six children. Okay. Any known medical history? Not that I'm aware of, no. Okay. I mean, she has been sick, but I think just like a cold. Okay. Has she been suicidal at all? or? Not that I'm aware of. The call you just heard came several hours too late. Early the morning of March 26th, rescue workers rappelled down the cliff, where they lifted the dead bodies of three children, later identified as Marcus, Abigail, and Jeremiah Hart, and spotted two more, Sarah in the back and Jen in the driver's seat. The coroner found an ingredient commonly used in allergy medicines like Benadryl in the bodies of Sarah and two of the kids. Jen's blood alcohol content was over the legal limit, no one had been wearing a seatbelt. The car's computer revealed that Jen had stopped on a pullout some 70 feet from the cliff moments before the freefall. She then gunned it off the ledge. Ten days later, the county sheriff issued a statement about the gruesome incident. I'm to the point where I no longer am calling this an accident. I'm calling it a crime. From Glamour and How Stuff Works, this is Broken Hearts. I'm Justine Harmon. And I'm Liz Egan. Together, we've been looking into this story for the past six months. And what has emerged is one of the most complex and compelling stories of abuse, neglect, privilege, and confusion in the digital age we've ever encountered. One astounding element of this story is that this family, the Hart Tribe, didn't just burst into the news after the horrific crash. Over the years, they had somehow managed to be at the center of multiple news events. 
Remember that picture of a young black boy in a blue fedora embracing a white cop in riot gear at a Black Lives Matter rally in 2014? And the debate that ensued over whether it was a symbolic moment of racial healing or semi-staged theater? That was Devante Hart, the third oldest of the Hart kids. Devante was a trumpet player who loved to brush his dog, Kenya. He had big teeth and big eyes. His whole face looked like a smile. He often wore a free hugs sign around his neck. He was an extrovert and an empath. That photo from the rally was taken in 2014, nearly four years before the family's death. And that wasn't the only time the Hearts found themselves in the spotlight, but we'll get into that later. A few weeks ago, our producer, Jason, asked us what drew us to this story in the first place. Our answers were different. I was on a 10-day road trip with my family. One afternoon after spending about nine hours in the car with my three kids who are 17, 14, and 11, I looked at the New York Times homepage and I read a story about the hearts. I was really surprised by how quickly it fell out of the news. There weren't that many stories. That sent me down a rabbit hole of wondering what had happened. At Glamour morning meetings, we discuss not only what we're working on currently, but what stories are sort of piquing our interest. And Liz brought up this story that I had almost surreptitiously clicked on the night before. Something about the picture I saw, these two women white, very attractive, sort of everyday looking, nothing seems sinister about them. And six really adorable, I mean, the kids just looked so happy. And so to have that juxtaposed with such an egregious storyline and headline, I was instantly captivated by, well, what could have driven these women to do such a thing? How does someone get to a place where they're willing to choose not only a path for yourself, but that of six young people? I am a mother of a two-year-old. I can't imagine ever being pushed to the brink that way. But at the same time, it is a relatable feeling as a mother, as a woman, to feel trapped by the choices you make. The story is so complex, in fact, that we brought on Lauren Smiley, a San Francisco-based investigative reporter, to help us figure out what really happened in the days, months, and years leading up to the crash. You'll hear from Lauren. She's the intrepid interviewer with the throaty chuckle and the Iowa accent. Over the course of this cross-country journey that leads us from South Dakota to Minnesota to Oregon, Washington, and ultimately a cliff in California, you'll also meet a variety of people who knew the hearts, or thought they did. And you'll get an exclusive look into a case that left six people dead, two missing, and a nation puzzled over the perfect family they never knew. But the most important voices in this podcast belong to the people we couldn't interview. The Hart kids, Marcus, Hannah, Devante, Abigail, Jeremiah, and Sierra. Hannah and Devante were not found in the car that day in March, and their bodies have not yet surfaced at the crash site. Since their whereabouts have yet to be located, some fear they were killed before the plunge. Others speculate they escaped in the nick of time. Back in May, we sent Lauren to Woodland, Washington, to meet with Dana and Bruce DeKalb, the Hart's next-door neighbors. The family shared a driveway. Take the fork to the left, and you'll hit the DeKalb's red split level. 
Take the one to the right and drive down a little bit, and you're at the Hearts. This is Lauren. I got out of my car and felt like I'd landed in a postcard of the Pacific Northwest. It seems like the DeKalb's property could be swallowed up by nature at any moment. Their house is blanketed by pine trees and rhododendron bushes. Just for some orientation, I'd driven up from Portland for about an hour on I-5, which continues on up to Seattle. I took an exit and then drove along this twisty road with trees overhead for five minutes. Even though there's this huge freeway just minutes away, by the time you get to the DeKalb's, it feels really remote. You move out here to be close to nature, not people. Dana greeted me at the door. She's in her late 50s and has short, curly hair. She's a talker and always wears a smartwatch to track her daily steps. Two decades ago, she and Bruce moved from a California cul-de-sac to this spot in the foothills of the Cascades, where you can see clear to Mount St. Helens. Bruce is about six feet tall. He's more laid back. He's chatty, too. But when together, let's Dana do the talking. Their days usually include some beating back of the Washington Wild, then adventuring out on jet ski or kayak. Last September, the retirement good life was interrupted when a small, frightened girl, wrapped in a fleece blanket, rang their doorbell at 1.30 in the morning. Doorbell rang, and, and I went to the front door. Here's this girl standing there in a blanket wrapped around her. She comes bolting in the house, and I'm yelling for Dana, you know, hey, wake up, come help me. And uh, she uh, ran up the stairs on her own. She bolted upstairs, pounced on me, because that's when I woke up thinking, who are you and where'd you come from? I came down here and was talking to her and trying to get her to calm down to understand what was going on. And she was just frantic and begging, you know, that take me to Seattle, don't make me go back there, they're racist, they're abusive. You know, and we're just like going, whoa, you know. Bruce asked her, well, what do you mean? And she's like, well, they whip us with a belt. And he was like, well, I've been whipped with a belt. (laughs) (laughs) Trying to think, oh, you know. And in the meantime, I'm trying to figure out where she came from. Because we don't know she lives next door. I noticed that the whole family was outside looking for her with flashlights. And she was freaking out, and I'm like, you know what? They're coming. I have to figure this out. Just stay put. They came in, and they just kind of pushed their way in, too. Sarah and Jennifer did. And they, you know, started going around, looking through the house, and went up to the bedroom. Did you invite the family to come into the no. house? No. no. They just kind of came in Barged. on their own. And we, you know, it's 1.30 in the morning and you're freaking out. Hannah had crouched down between my bed and dresser in this little spot and she was like in the fetal position. And when they just went in and Sarah approached her first and Hannah, she was like, no, you know. And so I said, well, back up, give her some space. You know, you guys are freaking her out and freaking me out. Let's just back up. And about that time, Jennifer kind of grabbed Sarah and said, I'll deal with this. You go down, back downstairs with the kids. 
so Jennifer started talking to her and, you know, calming her and being all nice and stuff. So I thought, okay, I'm going to give him a minute. And so I left the room, regretfully. And then they came back downstairs and they, when they started coming back downstairs, Jennifer told Sarah, you need to take the kids and go. Hannah's having a problem with her big brother right now. And we were like, what? Her issue wasn't her brother at all. What, what do you mean? So that kind of was a little bit weird, but you know, I, I don't know. So they sat there saying, you know, you need to tell these people you're sorry. Yes, ma'am. And you need to explain to him you've just had a really bad week. Yes, ma'am. And she just constantly was looking at Jennifer, never even talked to us. It was just robot. And so they ended up leaving. Now it's like 2.30 in the morning. You're trying to figure out what, wow, what, what's really going on here, you know? And I guess it was just beyond our imagination. For a variety of reasons, the DeKalbs wouldn't call the authorities until nearly six months after the incident. But that didn't stop her 80-year-old dad, whom she told about the event, from getting involved. On November 18th, 2017, nearly three months after Hannah visited in the middle of the night, Dana's dad, Steve, placed a call to 911. There's some kids that I feel is being highly abused. What's the address? And how I know, okay, I'm going to give you the address of my daughter's house because it's right next door. Yeah, if you're going up the road to her house, it's a house on the right. Okay, and what's going on there? Well, they have black children, which that part doesn't matter, and they're, they're new here. But the other night, a little girl jumped out of the second-story window on the roof and then down onto the ground and ran to my daughter, and this is like 2 in the morning begging them to help her, to help her. And when they came looking for her, she was begging my daughter not to let them know she was there. And then eventually my son-in-law let him know. He doesn't want to get involved, but the more I sit on it, I I just can't live with it. Somebody's got to go there and check on And so how old was the little kid that did that, that ran to your daughter's house? About 12 years old, 13. And then she had all four of the kids come back later and to say everything was okay, and they were all standing at attention like they were just scared to death. And I think there's something very serious going on there. They're here from Texas. The kids might even be kidnapped. And and basically, my son-in-law is like most people. They don't want to get involved. And so he's keeping my daughter out of it. But since she's told me about it, I just can't live with it. I'm very concerned for these kids. Someone from the county sheriff's office called the DeKalbs to ask whether there had been more incidents. And Dan explained what she had observed since that night. The kids next door were almost always indoors. She remembers being told, "Eh, it's not illegal to keep kids inside. On August 7, 2018, a little less than a year after her dad called, I contacted County Sergeant Brent Waddell over the phone. So Dana's dad and called down here and reported that Dana's neighbor's child had come over in the middle of the night. And the deputy contacted dad and also contacted Dana. When the deputy talked with Dana, uh, there was no indication that there was any ongoing issues or anything like that. Waddell wasn't the one who talked with Dana. 
But the department had done an internal review of how they handled their interactions with Dana and her dad. He inquired and documented that he talked with Dana and they had discussed, is there anything over there since it's happened, anything concerning? And Dana basically said, oh, you know, we never see him, see him out. For us to go up and knock on the door, we would need something a little bit more. People have rights in this country and in this state, and just because your neighbor, you know, if there was something a little bit more current and some other factors, again, we don't know what happens behind closed doors. So just because the kids aren't playing outside or aren't outside or aren't seen that much, that amongst itself is not a trigger or a red flag. Hindsight being 2020, who knows? But, you know, there's, you know, the deputy and Dana had a conversation and, and the deputy was okay with not going up and knocking on the door. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. <gasps> what? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes... I guess identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't 
feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for deliverance. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. But what really went on behind the white door in that baby blue split level? Who are these women? And how did they come to adopt six children? two sets of three Black siblings. Their story starts in small-town South Dakota, where Sarah Gengler and Jen Hart both grew up. A photo of five-year-old Jen shows her dressed up in a ruffly blue dress with knee-high white socks outside a cornflower blue home with astroturf-covered stairs. Extremely rare find, she wrote on Facebook in May of 2016. Me in a dress. The women met when they were 20 years old as undergraduates at Northern State University in Aberdeen, South Dakota. It was 1999. American Pie was the biggest thing at the box office. JFK Jr. had just been found dead off the coast of Martha's Vineyard, still strapped into the pilot's seat of his plane. Live in La Vida Loca was the biggest thing on the radio, but it would be more than a decade before Ricky Martin would publicly come out as gay. At Aberdeen, Sarah would go on to earn her degree in education. Jen never graduated. Later, Jen would describe on Facebook how she called Sarah her friend or her roommate. Once they did come out as a couple, however, the Midwestern mindset, she wrote, was relentlessly unforgiving. The pair eventually moved to Alexandria, Minnesota, a lake town famous for Big Ole, a 25-foot-tall statue of a Viking that was built for the 64 World's Fair. Herbergers, where the women worked, Jen in the junior's department, Sarah as a department manager, was the biggest store at Viking Mill Plaza, a one-level strip mall located off of Route 29. Jen was probably the one I met first. She was taller than me. She had, like, this big, bright red hair. I remember her feeling so much older than she actually was, like... She probably was 26 or 27 at the time. And she was confident and assertive and intimidating. I immediately did not feel like I was on the same level as her. This is Jordan Smith. Jordan worked with Jen and Sarah in the summer of 2004 at Herbergers. We asked Lauren to find out what they were like. Most people who knew the women back then noted their differences. Jen was more colorful, outgoing, abrasive. That would be the Minnesota term for it, Smith says. Sarah could be more emotional and stressed, but she lovingly kept the picture of her and Jen cuddling on her office desk. When I talked to Jordan, she remembered the time Jen complained about a mannequin's nipples being sexist. Jen hauled the mannequin to a back room at Herberger's and manually cut them off with a hacksaw. 
she pulled the mannequins in the back to do it. She wasn't doing it like on the floor in front of customers. Um, it was probably her relationship with Sarah that like gave her, you know, that kind of like, I can do this. As a couple, they were very uh, discreet. It took me almost nine months to realize they were a couple. I mean, we're talking real rural Minnesota, like the Bible Belt of Minnesota. That's Alexandria. In 2004, Alexandria, Minnesota, a town located 132 miles northwest of Minneapolis, had a population of around 11,000. It was a bit more progressive than rural South Dakota, but it wasn't exactly the most tolerant of places either. As Jordan recalls, It was pretty usual to get called a dyke or a fag, and uh, you're gay and everything negative. It may not seem that long ago, but 2004 was a very different time socially, especially in the rural Midwest. You could kind of describe the mentality as, well, don't ask, don't tell. Jordan identifies as queer now, but back then, it wasn't so easy to be out. To Sarah and Jen's credit, they were probably one of a very rare handful of open and out um, homosexual couples in the area. Years later, in a Facebook post, Jen would recall the realities of being a gay woman living in the unforgiving and unaccepting Midwest. The truth of our love was clouded with fear, she wrote. Fear of rejection from family and friends. Fear of being unwanted, unloved. Fear of not being able to get a job. Fear of acts of violence. Fear of not being able to have a family. Fear of walking through this life alone with our love, keeping it a secret. The Hearts would eventually find a community. Over the years, they became regulars at transformational festivals, days-long, socially conscious mashups of music, yoga, dance, and creative costumes. The kids would join, too, often dressed in colorful costumes and carrying motivational signs and interacting with the musical acts. In one YouTube clip, we see Devante at the Beloved Festival, an annual gathering dedicated to what its website describes as vulnerability, belonging, and liberation. In the clip, a large group of adults dressed in tie-dye and bucket hats congregate around the musician Xavier Rudd as he plucks at a guitar placed across his lap. Rudd is shirtless. His long blonde hair is pulled back with a headband. His eyes are closed. About eight minutes into the song, he notices someone in the crowd and beckons him to the stage. Devante, dressed in a zebra costume, a free hug sign around his neck, and the word beloved shaved into his head, approaches the musician and gives him a hug. There are tears in his eyes. The embrace lasts over a minute. The whole moment is a lot. But it was also at these festivals that friends like Zippy Lomax, a Portland-based photographer, first encountered Jen and Sarah in 2013. After the news of the crash broke, Lomax, like so many of the people in the heart's inner circle, took to social media to defend the women she knew. 
they were that really bright kind of presence. It was pretty hard to miss them. Any event that, that I was at where they were, if I had a camera, I was, of course, attracted to that. I was inspired by them. They gave me hope. Everyone considered them like the heart tribe. It was just sort of like a natural term that would kind of come out when you would see them showing up at places. Oh, look, there's the heart tribe. That term, like tribe, has been thrown around a lot in that because there's some sort of like returning, like re-indigenization and like these interesting terminologies. There's even a book that this other photographer put out called Tribal Revival, and it's all about like the people from all these different festivals. So Beloved is just one of many of these kind of festivals that sort of fit under the umbrella of what would be considered transformational festivals that have this very similar kind of goal, I guess, of experimental community, different ways of coming together and, and being supportive rather than competitive. Looking a little deeper into understanding what that festival is kind of a part of will maybe give a little bit of context for why there were so many people quick to kind of like jump up and say like, wait a minute, you guys have the story wrong. Zippy, Lomax, and Jen especially became close, often communicating over DM and social media. Zippy shared with us over 300 of Jen's Facebook posts, often accompanied by long, well-written captions, many of which served as a keyhole into who these women and who these six kids were. There are photos of Abigail and Devante eating breakfast with hens perched on their heads. Vegetarian chicken and waffles, the caption reads. Devante, Jeremiah, and Sierra painting on the living room floor. Mini Jackson Pollocks. All six kids grinning with a kindness is contagious sign. Redwood Nation is about to get blasted with kindness, Jen wrote. Each post reaffirms the same storyline. Two moms and their rehabilitated kids thriving against all odds. But as we've had to remind ourselves through the course of digging into this story... Jen Hart, who is far more active on social media than her wife Sarah, isn't the most reliable narrator. This is something Zippy and many Friends of the Hearts struggle with. Zippy has received a lot of messages from people who once knew the family, but maybe lost touch over the years. It's a nice counter, she says, to the loads of hate mail she received. Like this letter she got two months after the crash from a high school friend of Jen's with the subject line, Your Heart. Subject, she just said, Your Heart. Hi, Zipporah. I wanted to reach out to you after all of this heart story broke. I could sense that you're a beautiful soul with good intentions, caught defending some people you think you knew. I knew Sarah and Jen from college, and I, too, was in disbelief. I was not even brave enough to admit knowing them, so I was proud of you for stepping out there and speaking up. The people I knew in college were not capable of this act. Although looking back now, it's clear there were warning signs from Jen in the way she exerted absolute control over Sarah. I just thought they were in love. I'm wondering if you two have had any change of heart. I'm looking for some deep philosophical guidance on this because it is weighing heavily on my heart. I go between anger and confusion and sadness and love and then disbelief. I visited them in Alexandria in 2005 before they adopted their kids. After that, I followed them on Facebook and was amazed and proud of how many lives they were touching. I know you're busy, but if you ever have time, please send me a message or point me to a person you can. I hope you're doing okay. I'm sure the pain and grief you feel is a thousand times worse than mine. I was grateful for that because um, every other message I got was hateful and awful. 
like that's somebody saying that just kind of echoes what other people said kind of in in more quiet ways that they were grateful that I was willing to speak up. No part of Zippy is able to reconcile the women she once knew with the women who began to emerge on paper after the fateful crash. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes... I guess identify the life that I want and and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for deliverance. Every time I have one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
As we've been reporting, most of the Hart family was found dead at the crash site on March 26. That was just days after Child Protective Services tried to visit their home in Clark County to look into reports of potential neglect against parents Sarah and Jennifer Hart. Tonight, investigators held a telephone news conference to confirm that they believe the SUV was crashed on purpose. What first appeared to be a tragic accident now looks much more sinister. Captain Bart said information downloaded from the airbag control module shows the SUV actually stopped before accelerating over the cliff. It was pure acceleration from the last brake application until it hit the bottom of uh, the cliff, the ocean. Investigators are releasing new details about the Hart family tragedy, telling us that Jennifer Hart was drunk when she drove the family's car off a cliff in Northern California and her wife Sarah had a drug in her system. Even now, Zippy has a hard time believing her friends were living dual lives. There's no part of me and all of my looking back at, at my observations of them that's capable of seeing that it was just a charade. Somehow, the smoke and mirrors of the compelling digital narrative Jen created was able to cloud a sense of civic responsibility. It's not unlike the same mental gymnastics we perform on a daily basis while absentmindedly scrolling through anyone's feed. We know, of course we do, that perfect is a myth. But we also convince ourselves that other people must have achieved it. Pictures have an uncanny way of making any story true. Marcus, Hannah, Devante, Abigail, Jeremiah, and Sierra died because everyone saw something different when they looked at them. The perfect family, some lucky rescued kids, a symbol for post-racial kumbaya. No one saw six young people in desperate need of help. Not even the people who were looking right at them. Next time on Broken Hearts. We are so provided for. We are so provided for. She was eating out of the garbage. And to this day, it just seems so strange. I remember vaguely hearing that they dropped the foster daughter off and, like, just abandoned her. That should kind of like be a clue right then and there that this is a person you don't think can operate in the child's best interest. My inner monologue was like, something's not right about them. Absolutely, I think race is playing a part. You know when people are sitting in the audience thinking that, okay, well, why did the judge just rule that way? It feels like he's trying to kiss me. Oh, maybe he loves you. <laughs>
And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Hi, listener. I'm Carol Fisher, the host of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister. I'm so excited for you to hear the brand new season where we're uncovering a 35-year-old mystery. But for those of you who didn't hear season one or just want to listen to it again, you can now get access to all episodes of that first season of The Girlfriends 100% ad-free through the iHeart True Crime Plus subscription, which is available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get access to every single episode of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, ad-free and one week early, only available to iHeart True Crime Plus subscribers. So what are you waiting for? Head to Apple Podcasts, search for iHeart True Crime Plus, and subscribe today. Today. 